social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Because if you're social, then you really should be tweeting less. If you're social, then you really could be leading less. You can't have what people say it's so mysterious. Because you're social, you're a leader and you're serious. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to All the Social Ladies. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media. And on today's show, we are speaking with Emily Blumenthal, who is the founder of Handbag Designer 101, the Independent Handbag Designer Awards, and author of Handbag Designer 101, which, by the way, you have right sold. here. Yes, I have it right here, <laughs> and it's sold over 20,000 copies worldwide. Emily on, launched her own handbag line, which was Yasmina Bag, while getting her MBA in international marketing management at Fordham University after working 10 years in media for CNN International and Cartoon Network Moscow. That's true. Very exciting. Emily's also a trend expert. She understands the insatiable <laughs> appetite. This is my favorite <laughs> intro that ever lived. Appetite of emerging and undiscovered designers. And she has used her skills and knowledge to teach others, too. It's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. From how to launch your handbag line at the Learning Annex. Yes. To being on the casting panel for Ro- Project Runway's spinoff, Project Accessory, for which you were also their official blogger. I was. This is very, very impressive. There's Cla- some nuggets. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I love Love it. You were <laughs> collaborating with brands such as Swar. Oh my God, Swarovski. You know, it's the worst thing I can never it's say. It's too it. many consonants and vowels. I also put together. feel the urge to say, to say Swar- Swarovski, and I always am like so you're ju- embar- like a Jewish grandmother. Yes, yeah, I totally respect a, that. A, a, That's a how it should be. Yeah, Timberland, <laughs> Kate Spade, New York. Oh, she's been featured in InStyle magazine, Harper's Bazaar, The Today Show, The New York Times, Forbes, and now. All you. the social ladies, yeah. which is really it. It's the place to That's be. That's like a hashtag fist pump. That's it. I'm now down. you've made it. I, you, you have arrived. I, I, I am retiring. <laughs> I'm closing this door and walking I out. I love it. Drop I the mic. It. I love it. All right, Emily, you got to tell me, and you have to tell all the listeners your story, because I've, I've read your story of how you got to where you are now, and it's just, I feel, in having spoken to you, that there would be nobody better to tell your story <laughs> than you. So tell me how you got to where you are today. Well, it's funny. I just uh, I just had this, fa- this feature on fashionista.com and the woman uh, who interviewed me was so cute and she was really nice and we met at this um, cafe in Nolita and she's like, so tell me your story and I said, well, I can top line it for you or I could tell you something that will make you run out of like whatever you have on your like little recorder there. And she's like, "No, the more the better." I said, "Are you sure?" No, I'm the more you the better. Fair warning. I actually read that interview, and my favorite part of it was, "Boy, that girl can, can talk." talk. And I, I saw said, it, and I said, "Well, now you know." Yes, it's true. <laughs> I love it. I had to cram so much in because you know. It's not to say that everybody's story doesn't take you where it was, and I don't want to say that mine was better or more efficient than anybody else's, but. I've always kind of had my eye on the prize in Mm -hmm. terms of, well, what's the next step? What's the next step? And I really think, and not to sound cliche, but it definitely comes down to having ADD. It went 100% because it's, I've never been able to rest on any laurels because I feel like the chase is almost 
more exciting because the anxiety is what drives you. Then once you know it's coming and you get it, you just like my mind has already moved on to something to else. The next so you thing. you can't even enjoy it for for better or for worse. A lot of entrepreneurs say that. A lot of people talk about their how actually the concept of ADD and whether or not they actually have it or they don't is what drives them is that they're always on to the next thing. No, I mean I definitely have a habit of of repeating things ad nauseum and people and you know even internally in in my home and my kids and my husband say you know, I've told you this already. You've asked this a hundred times. And I said, well, you know, I'm already, I'm juggling a few thousand things in my head. So it's, it's kind of a necessary evil. And it's, it's funny because when I was in college, um, I, I actually learned in, um, middle school, which a friend of mine had pointed out that I had started renegotiating my grades. Amazing. And I wasn't even aware that I was doing it, but I was fighting for extra points. And she brought this up because I did that all through college. And that's when I was aware of it, but not actually doing it middle school and saying, well, what if you took this perspective? And what if you saw, you know, the work I did? And now you can clearly see what I put into this. And then in conclusion, you see I'm the only person here after school and you know you're bored and tired. So let's work something out. Let's cut a deal. So I guess it's in your DNA to keep mm-hmm. keep things moving and keep things going. Um, but I there was a, one professor because I was a Russian-Spanish major and then – um, I was doing a multitude of activities and trying to build a resume. Again, not that atypical for someone who wants to try and prove themselves. But uh, on a flight home, I sat next to this guy who I just assumed was hitting on me because, you know, when of you're in course. college, you think everybody is. Of course. Yeah. And <laughs> he's like, I was a Russian-Spanish major and I was doing this and I was running Greek Week and I was working for ISEC and all these other organizations. And he said, you know, you'd be great in advertising. And I said, what? I didn't even think of that. So um, I said, okay, so I should do that, right? And he gives me this strange look like, okay, I don't know you. (laughs) So I said, I guess you're not hitting on me and you think I should. So I guess I'll do that now because if you don't have anybody giving you direction, but you're trying to push yourself forward. Right. So it was like I've had these nuggets of sage advice moving on and from random people who have just, you know, set the record straight and have just said, okay, this is where I'm going now. This is what I'm doing. So – I got every advertising book I could, and start, I read every one, and um, David Ogilvie was alive at the time, and uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to go into advertising, and I know I'm going to go into international advertising, and I had all these ridiculous ideas. So with all the interviews I had, because I became obsessed and then sent my resume to every single person and called every single day, and it was the only reason why I was in a sorority was literally for the connections. Right. I knew for a fact that that would be my ROI for that because some right. people are crazy when it comes to Greek stuff. So I figured I might as well roll with that. <laughs> um, but I had this interview because I always found it fascinating for interns that the you'd meet with someone in HR, you'd meet someone pretty low level, and then they'd bring you into like a VP's office, which right. was usually a man, and the office was gigantic, and then you'd see like the gratuitous pictures of – he and his family and, yes. like, the black and white pictures of his wife. Yes, you know, yes, You know yes. what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly what you're talking about. And the about. big desk. Yes, huge desk. Huge desk. So, um, and, I, and I remember asking him, saying, do you feel comfortable with this whole disproportionate situation that the people that work for you are, like, in a box and you have this big space? He, and he said, well, I work for this and earn this. I said, so how many years does it take to get from there to here? And, <laughs> you know, we never even spoke about what, what uh, you know, media was about. And I right. said, I need to understand, like, how many years does this take and is this the path I want to go? And he's giving me this confused look. And I said... And by the way, I don't know how important you are. I mean, you may have this big space and this big desk, but have you read any of David Ogilvie's books? Because this was an interview with Ogilvie. 
And he gave me this funny look. And I said, because in one of his last books, it said for the really important people that he gives them a matryoshka doll. You know, those little Russian yes. dolls. Yes. And I said, I do not see that in your office. So you should you should <sighs> sort that out. Like, go look him up, give him a ring and just say, like, really, where's my value here? Like, oh. do I need this big office or do I need those matryoshka dolls? Wait, was he offended? What was his reaction? He, like, or did, what, did he love it? He, like, gave me a blank stare. Yep. And he made a phone call. Yep. Hung up. He's like, okay, you have this internship, yes. but you got to be careful. I was like, but you you believed it, and you know I'm right. And that was That's it. amazing. It's like, drop the mic. <laughs> amazing. Peace out. Thanks. Well, it's, it's good and bad because it got me someplace, but it's like I was always teetering the line of, you know, pushing it, yes. getting people's attention, yes. but it could go either way. It's funny. When I used to work in media sales for a long time, and I was a sales manager, and when we used to interview people, somebody like that would be called a high-command individual, somebody who just walks in and kind of owns it and is fearless and unafraid. And I think that that clearly showed it. I and mean, you would always want those people because you can't you can't um, teach command. It's not something you couldn't teach somebody to do what you did there. That's inherent in who you are. But I feel like a lot of it, it's it's I wouldn't even call it ignorance. I would call it complete unawareness yeah. that you were even yeah. pre- behaving in that capacity. Yeah. So that because you noticed it and you just said it, and that's where you yes, like that's command. I call this a VOPS voice of the people syndrome, like where you see things that you think and you know everybody else is thinking them. So why isn't it brought to the table? I'm a joy at PTA meetings. Ah. You have no idea. I love this. <laughs> I love this. Okay, so you got into media sales. You started an internship. I started an internship, and uh, that's where you learn that interns don't get business cards, and you're like constantly saying, oh, they ran out. I have to wait. <laughs> and um, and so I decided I wanted to go. I saw what they did, and I thought, okay, this isn't so exciting. You're sitting at a desk. You know, as a student, you have these delusions of grandeur that you want to be big and important and amazing. Right. And why am I here? Because right. I'm so important. Right. I think the difference between now and I hate to age myself and the current generation is that you may have these issues of entitlement at that age. But I knew that what would it would take to validate that those kinds of feelings mm-hmm. and not that I just deserved it. Right. So I was attuned to like put me in that spot. I'll prove to you. I'll hustle. I'll you know because I was the versus the sense of entitlement now that you. You want to get to that spot, but you immediately feel that you should be in that spot. Right. Like, I always walked into the vice president's office and introduced myself and said, I'm here. You know, you probably won't know me. You'll have never have a reason to know me. But if you ever need someone to do special projects for research, I'm your girl. So let me know. I'll come in. I'll check in with you once a month. Let me know. And I'm here. Great advice for a lot of our younger listeners. Uh, Yeah. It's it's because there's no reason why anyone needs to know you. Because what I always tell, like, the designers I've worked with, you are a nobody until you're a somebody. And no one's going to make you a somebody unless you prove and have the backup that you're worthy of it. And even if you're a somebody, you can lose that title the next day. For sure. So that that was really one of those key points because, again, like I'd always piss off the immediate boss because they'd think I was trying to sidestep them. And yes. I always had to tell – like my boss in London was like, you are crossing the line. And I said, I'm just letting them know I exist. That's not a line cross. That's just me being here and proving that I have value and I'm bringing something to the table. So you're welcome. She didn't like that, though. Yeah, no. I'm sure. So you kind of are, are, have the entire makeup and are built to be an entrepreneur, to not work for somebody, right? Would you say that, that you knew that early on? I didn't know that, and I always found it really frustrating that I couldn't square in a, square in a circle peg yes. thing, um, especially since everyone in my family has always had their own business. Mm. I always felt like it was a letdown that I hadn't come up with my own business, and I was constantly idea shopping, like, why can't I do this, and what about that? So. 
for as long as I can remember, that's always how I've been. Um, but the the funny thing is that as an intern, you know, sometimes some sales reps take two. And this one woman who was working at ESPN, she took me out for lunch and she was really kind. And she's like, you have a lot going on and there's a lot for you to offer, but you need to learn a lot more. And I said, OK, what do I need to do? Tell me what I, you, you know, I was yep. taking all that in. Yep. And she said, I know you want to get into sales. I know you want to get into TV. I know you want to travel. You want to prove yourself, but you still don't know anything. You need to know that. And more importantly, you'd never open up a clothing store if you didn't know how to shop. Right. And I gave her this funny look, and she said, you need to understand and get into the mindset of your demographic and know how they're shopping, what they're looking for, what are their shopping habits. Because if you want to sell anybody anything, you need to know what how to buy first. And it was like a light bulb went off. And uh, I was I was just floored by that. And she said, you want to work for a packaged goods company, somebody that is multi-brands, somebody that works on micro thin margins because you need to how to work with dollars and get the most out of it, where you can get the most out of it. So I did exactly what she said. And um, it's funny because I contacted this man who worked at Turner Broadcasting at the time that, you know, on CNN and Cartoon Network and everything. Mm-hmm. So from the time I was 20, I would call this guy and, uh, you know, every year I'd call him just to check in. I'm like, by the way, this is what I'm doing. And he used to call it Dodge Blumenthal Ball. Uh, I'm not. That's amazing. <laughs> I would call him up and he, <laughs> he'd say, it's you again. And I said, sure is. I'm here. So, um, so the funny thing is I worked for an ad agency and I, did, I worked for Procter & Gamble and uh, did that for about a year. And then there was an ad in the back of Adweek magazine saying wanted regional network, uh, media media sales director for regional network in Moscow. Okay. And I was 22. I don't even know if I'd turn 23. I was about to turn 23. And I sent my resume in and I got a phone call like, hey, when can you meet? We want to hire you. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to Russia. Wow. So I had an expat package at 22 years old of $75,000 with a car and a driver and apartment and everything. And my uh, one of my best friends from college, who was also a Russian major, just packed up and went, you know, to find a job. And that's not uncommon for people to do. Okay. But I said, no, 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 no. If you're right. going to – no, I want someone to pay my way. I want my yeah. flight paid for. Like, of course. Let's do this the right way. So I was there for about three months. <laughs> and then – and then uh, – and then it all went down from there because it was dodgy and uh, it was Russia at the time. Yes, yes. And then um, I came in one day and the woman who ran the network had said, um, you see that computer? And I said, yeah. And she said, let's hope we sell it because that's where your next paycheck is. And I said, this is not good. Oh, no. This is kind of a red flag. Yeah. So uh, and I told telling my parents this and my mom said, you should come home. And I said, no one goes to your going away party twice. I got to figure something out. Right. Like, I can't I can't just leave. It's right. been three months. So. Um, so and, and the funny thing is, is like the p- two people who hired me disappeared without paying me. Uh. And the beauty of all this and this goes back to. I think having strong roots. And uh, before I left, my mom spoke to the woman's mom who had hired me because okay. she was a New Yorker. Okay. And I couldn't get my money. And, and so my mom called her mother. <laughs> and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this card one last time and then, and then it's done because I can't do that in good, good, fa- in good faith. 
And my mom said, and I don't even know if I should be saying this, but I feel like you got to, you, you got to, gotta, I'm honest Put about it. Put it out there. I am honest about everything. But my mom said, how can you leave this 23-year-old unemployed in Moscow? In, in Moscow. And it was the truth. Yeah. So I got like a few threatening hate phone calls. I had a few random people show up outside my door, which in Russia, they had double doors and some banging. It's a little strange. But uh, I did get my money. And then, like, this man who had four fingers always used to come and, like, bang on my door. He's like, where's your money? Where's your money? And it was just oh. – you just kind of laugh through it. Looking back <laughs> at that, are you are you happy you did that experience? Would you – Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. No, and, you know, I, I worked in London in London after. And the funny thing is that working in Russia was easier than working in London mm. um, because – so here I am, left unemployed in Russia, but because of all my hustling, I had this deck of business cards. Of course. Because I would go to these networking functions yep. with no work experience, really, other yep. than, you know, working, uh, you know, my internship. And then I worked for the Michigan Daily my senior year of, of college just okay. because this man had said, you know, you need to get more experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I made more money there in the history of the paper up to that point in ad sales. So I was bought a bike and I was like servicing clients and I got so into it. And uh, my grandmother, God bless her, couldn't understand why I was leaving such a high paying job. I said, you don't understand. Like once you're done with college, they don't want you. Right. You need to, you need to walk away. Right. But uh, yeah, I was earning about $2,500 a month as a student in oh, ad wow. sales wow. because Nike had just started to sponsor Michigan and yep. I couldn't believe no one had called Nike. Like, who doesn't call Nike? You know they have you're budget. You're just a born salesperson. That's all. You well, just know. You just know that if you're if you're signing up for something, then do it or walk away. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. So um, so I started calling all of these people. And then I had a friend who worked at Bloomberg whose sister had dated somebody who worked at CNN. Okay. And who was a Jewish guy from Long Island but was working in London. So I called him up and finally got through. And I said, you know this guy and da-da-da-da, but... You know, here's the deal. I'm in Moscow. I know all the agencies. And uh, <laughs> you need me more than I need you. And uh, you should hire me and I'll run I'll run your, your network from your from my kitchen because I knew Cartoon Network had this branded block okay. of uh, Tom and Jerry and the Jetsons okay. on one of the Russian networks and they were trying to sell the ad Bad sales unit. blocks. And uh, they were trying to do it from London and for, for at that time and it's still that way with the media market there. You need to be you need to be there and you yes. need to be in front of people. Yes. So after going back and forth and they flew me to London, there I was now working out of my kitchen, working for Cartoon Network. In Moscow. Yes. Okay. Out of my kitchen. Okay. I was the entire department. Wow. Just me. <laughs> so I was I was like twenty-three or twenty-four by okay. then. Okay. Um so it was funny because without the Michigan Daily, I would say, wow. here's a rate card, let's convert, blah, 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 the brand of So blocks. it taught you. It absolutely did. I mean, I had um, I had Mars sponsoring this whole block, but because the 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 maf the mafia the media mafia yes. was controlled by a monopoly yes. over there, so I I was selling um, exclusivity, and lo and behold, back to back with a Mars commercial, there was you know like a Hershey commercial, yes. so that posed some issues. Yes, and uh, so then they said they were going to shut it down. And I said, well, you can't abandon me in Russia. I've gone through this twice. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> so they flew me to London. They interviewed me to work in CNN International. And then they said, okay, we're going to give it to you. So I was all excited. I was moving to London. And then they said, we're, we're not going to. And I was, said, you can't offer me a job and then take it back. Like, that's just, you know, that's just bad form. Right. That's just rude. Can't do it. No. So um, 
they said, well, we need to apply for an EU work permit for you. And it just like, you know, the Treaty of Maastricht in 95, they made it really difficult for foreigners to work making it the European Union. It's the same way for people to work in the U.S. So, um, So I said... What do I need to do? They said, if you can get a European, if you can get a European passport, you know. So I so thought. So I said, well, I'm not the marrying type. Right. At least <laughs> I was. And uh, the boyfriend I had at the time really wouldn't have brought any ROI to the situation. No ROI. No, definitely not. No. Negative no. ROI. Impact. He was good looking and that's about it. Well, so that's th- something. It was. But to, not everything. No, no. At least being out in public. Yes. It's, yes, being out in public, good. With a hot guy? Yeah. And, and that's, but not for the marrying. No. It's no. only one small piece. No, no. I agree. He told me I needed to wear makeup. <laughs> I remember that. So um, he said, I, I, I wait for you to put your face on. Oh. And I said, okay, but that's a tangent. That's not. <laughs> Side note. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, now to this point, day I won't go out without makeup because unless, because he said that. Well, kind of. I mean, it's like yeah, I, you'll I never see, see me without my hair down. Yeah. So I'm either wearing a hat or it's up because my mom said it, my hair looks strange down. So you know all the stuff. Yes, the sticks. things that get in your head. It's great. So you always wear makeup and you always wear your hair up unless, or in a hat. Right. Or unless if you're in gym clothes or rolled out of bed clothes, you need the whole ensemble yes. to match the face. Oh. Otherwise, you know, you need to look the part. Excellent. Yeah, I love it's this. It's true. So if you see me, you'll know what's going is, on. I'm very easy to read. This is per- a very good pearl this, of wisdom. This is so in many nuggets. In the midst of your story, there it's like so all these many brilliant nuggets. nuggets we have. We're learning so many things today on all the social ladies. I love it. Okay, so now you're moving to London, except so, you don't have a European correct. passport. Yeah, I hope, I'm, I'm not talking too much. Not this is, this at is what this people is exactly want. what people want. Okay, good. Exactly. There's so much. There's, There's nuggets. Just so They're much. picking out all the nuggets it's from true. these stories. It's true. I love them. Um, so uh, my grandmother was alive at the time, so uh, and she was getting money from the German government. So I called up the German German. Uh, consulate in Moscow, and I said, "Do you have any laws to naturalize Holocaust victim descendants?" And they did. So, which was ridiculous. How did you even think of I that? I don't know. I still, to this day, like you know, I figured there's. I said, "There's got to be some sort of guilt citizenship that exists." Right. So it seems like most people outside of the United States are well aware of this mm-hmm. because they would, and it's much more publicized. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with, you know, European relations yes, and where people yes. escape. But the U.S., nobody knows anything here. Right. So that's why in Russia they did. Wow. <laughs> so um, I had my grandma's papers and we shipped it in and all of that. And lo and behold, you know, six months later, I was walking in with a German passport. I was like, hey, what's up? You bringing me on or not? Because that's what you wanted. I got it now. What's my time? This is amazing. I know. And uh I know the office wasn't all that excited because I know they'd promised the job to somebody of course, else. They probably figured you would never get it. But I was like, passport. you gotta you gotta deliver because yep. now I have it. That's right. Yeah, I'm a card carrying EU member. Yeah. I have to no stop kidding. myself from using expletives right now because that's where it's <laughs> like triple snap, hashtag. Yes. Yeah, that's where it goes in. That's it. So yeah, I packed up and moved to London and uh I was there for almost two years. And um I'd say that was the hardest transition I've ever had because it's uh it's it was a phenomenal experience, but you know the last thing I think anybody wants in a work environment that isn't their own is a pushy Jewish New Yorker who's filled with things to prove yes. in a culture where nobody likes to be over yes. and prove anything. Yes, yes. 
So uh, I had a good friend who was Austrian, and the two of us were like these pariahs. Like yes. she'd bring work home, and we would compare our extracurricular projects that we were. And she'd come back, and she'd uh. say, "Nobody sat in my meeting," and I said, "Me either." <laughs> <laughs> so you were both very driven with one another, and that yeah, was it. she's crazy. Yeah, she's really crazy. I love her, but she's off her head. She's more than I am. I love it. Well, she's Austrian. They're like serious. Okay. So. Um, their regimented culture. I'm all over the place, but yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was there for a couple years, and uh, and then I I had just had it, and I think environmentally, I think I had sidestepped too many people there because it just didn't bode well because my boss there just had constant issues with me, mm. and it's really funny um, because I was I remember I wore blue nail polish one day and you know you'd see other people doing things mm-hmm. and then you were always the one who was getting picked on and I thought I'm an adult I'm bringing something here it's right. so strange that why am I the one and um the woman who headed up the department at the time was American and she pulled me aside she said although you do more than everybody and you're much more capable than everybody nobody here likes to stand out and that's what you're doing you need to be aware of that and I said oh, but what am I supposed to do? And she said, do your work, do what you're supposed to, everything comes in good time. And I just kept thinking about my interview at Ogilvy, like, how many years am I supposed to wait for the big desk? Right. Like, who wants to wait for a big right. desk? And were... do I even want a big desk? Right. What do I need to put in the drawers? <laughs> I had so many little jobs by that point that, you know, your first job, you paste pictures of, right. your parents. You... Right. By by this point, I, you know, it's like an apple and you're out of here. Yep. So, um. So, yeah, that was that. And uh, it was it was pretty funny. And I remember there was another American working in the office at the time. And uh, she pulled me aside. She said, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, and I said, I still don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And she said, do your work. No one's in a hurry. She said, I finished what I was supposed to do three hours ago, and I'm just looking busy. you got to learn how to do that. And I said, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever dealt with. You couldn't do that if you tried. I, I was you physically uncomfortable yeah. with just sitting there. Yes. I just said, well, someone's going to question me. They're going to say something. Right. And I think the whole problem with having the surplus of energy is that even sometimes you tend to go through things too, too quickly. And then yes. I... I, for as much as I try to stay under the radar, I'm just not that good at it. Yep. So, you know, um, <laughs> I remember there was, because I was working at CNN at the time, um, I remember like someone said, oh, Emily, um, you're, you're in the news today. And I went over and someone, there was like on the cover of CNN dot com, it was like, Americans are fatter than ever. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and you just have to laugh it off. Oh my God. You know, and you're like, okay, well. So I don't think it was a culture fit there for you. No, not no. so much. But, you know, the the funny thing about um, British people, and it's it's like the antithesis of the Americans, is that they're so hard to warm up to and they're harder to warm up to. It's it's almost like, like sorority rush oh. where you need to get their approval. But once you're in and all their friends have approved of you, you've got friends for life, whereas okay. Americans will be warm and welcoming. But it's mostly totally fake. Right. And, you know, if you call them up for something, they probably won't pick up. Mm. So my, I have, you know, a whole British entourage of people there that are probably my closest friends just because of that experience alone. So I wouldn't trade it. It was definitely educational. Um, But I think all of these experiences kind of push you a little further and further in determining where you should be, even though it doesn't feel like it at the time. And uh, the funny thing is, I went with the Austrian, <laughs> as she is, to um, – we went to Capri, 
And uh, my bag was stolen. My little wallet oh, was stolen because okay. I was trying to fashion this little bag that yes. I could hold on to. Yes. And I totally blamed her. And it was her fault. But it was stolen. And because uh, she was just distracting me like crazy. And my little bag was stolen. And I just and it was it's funny because that was the epiphany that I said, I can't believe someone hasn't developed a little bag that you can hold on to that's on your hand that, you know, is mobile and works with you. So. You know, I, it's like seeds were being planted. Right. And you wouldn't even have known it. was it. a light bulb moment for you there. It, it was one of them. So, so there were a series of them. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't want to say that I'm I'm unique in, in terms of people who do what I do. But, you know, this happens to be my particular path. And this is how things have just worked out for me. So, you know, um, the the funny thing is that in this age of social media and fast-moving entitlement that there's this lack of understanding of making money. Right. So, you know, where people say, oh, I want to be my own boss. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like I have a press book that's bigger than most people. And all my father kept saying is, how's this led to sales? How's this led to sales? I'm Garmento offspring, you know, no overhead. No, you know, don't even use light if you don't need to. It's going to cost you money. So. That has always been in the back of my mind. Like, can I live off of this? I don't. I will not go in the minus. If I'm going to go in the minus, I should not do it. How did you take the first step to actually do this to so, launch this? Because this that idea obviously led to Yasmina, right? So I moved home and I had like a host of jobs uh, working in film distribution mm-hmm. because I realized in advertising you're still behind a desk, right? And I thought, well, TV sales, if you're selling television programs, then you get to travel. You get to right. go to different countries. You get to go to Cannes. You get to do all those things because I thought selling behind a desk, what's the point? Right. Plus, I, I do better if I'm in front of people. I don't want to mm-hmm. do anything on the phone. And I certainly mm-hmm. didn't want anyone to do the selling for me because mm-hmm. then everything gets lost in translation. If I'm not there to sell it, just because I've always had products that weren't easy sales, um, you have to be your own best publicist. Right. There's a there's a really great book by uh, Jessica Kleiman and Meryl Cooper mm-hmm. uh, called Be Your Own Best Publicist. I went to college with Jessica, and she was the VP of PR at Hearst, and now she's, I think, head of PR at Sandow. But it's an amazing book. That's Just awesome. All these great little things you can do to really stand out and really promote yourself as a brand and, you know, this overriding need for a publicist, which is a load of hooey until – you know how to sell yourself. You shouldn't have anybody else doing it for you. So the most important thing is to know how to sell yourself, I think, it sounds like. I think it's that and really knowing your USPs. What right. are your unique selling yep. points? Yep. Um, if you if you are unaware of what your end result is, then you shouldn't even be selling it. What, what is your solution? What are you trying to bring? What do, what do you Are you creating a need? Are you creating a want? And how are you addressing those? And you did that with Yasmina, right? <coughs> because people didn't have a bag that would... Well, I, I, I'd like to think so. Um, so I was working in all these hokey companies, and then um, I started working for an even hokier magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I always used to say it was kind of like a pizzeria in Brooklyn, but it happened to be in the Empire State Building, and it really wasn't a pizzeria because that was the environment I was working in. <laughs> um, but it was equivalent to that. And uh, I, they brought me on to do ad sales for fashion, but because it was so backwards how they were handling the editorial for the fashion, then I started getting involved with that. So that's when I came up with this idea for this little handbag to hold on to when you go out, which was also key to... Um, identify my boyfriend at the time who was an Australian DJ 
as you do, um, <laughs> who I'd met when I was backpacking through Europe in college. So the Australian moved here and then, you know, which made total sense because I'd only really seen him twice. Yep. And he said he was in love and I figured, well, I don't have anything else to do. Right. So why not? Um, it was a problem that he was not legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not employed. And then I became his manager because I didn't want to. Mm. So, you know, I felt responsible. I had this foreign guy right. here. And so then I literally was going out all the time. Yep. And I have a very short social tolerance. I'm the first person to leave. Right. You know, it's it's like, uh, like Costanza, you go, you make your mark. No <laughs> and one, then you're out of there. No one to say when. Yep. Yeah. I never overstay my welcome when I it love comes it. to parties. Like you've seen my dress. Yep. You've seen you're my here. makeup. Thanks. Bye. You, you, you may have noticed me. Maybe you saw my dress because that's all I care about. I love it. And I'm out. I love it. So, um, so yeah. So then I, it was really that I guess was my first real aha moment where, you know, I was doing my homework literally by his feet where the decks where his records were, and I would sit there and it was my social anthropological experiment experiment in saying. How come no one's come up with a little bag to hold on to when you go out? Because people have wristlets, they've had belt bags, they've had all kinds of contraptions, but it's not a party bag. It's not the bag that you can hold everything, that you won't get lost, that's not strapped to your hand. Right. And that that really was it. And I remember talking to my family about it and my parents, and they said, don't do it. You know, really? don't get into fashion. Nobody makes money. You know nothing about it. You're not a designer. Walk away. But the Australian, who had packed up his bags with nothing, said, oh, you should give it a go. <laughs> and I felt, let me weigh this out. Whose advice do I really want to hear? Right. Done. Done. That's it. Yeah. And I had basically read up everything that Kate Spade had done mm-hmm. and how um, Kate Spade, when she was at her brand. Yes. Not Deborah Lloyd, who's running it now. Correct. Who is amazing, Correct. by the Correct. way. You Correct. know, want to give a double plug. Of course. Yeah. There, I work with her, so it's fine. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's true. Um, so um, I followed what Kate Spade had done and did my silhouettes in construction paper and yep. literally, you know, had a vertical strategy that I knew that I had to start selling high end and go to low end. And the beauty of business school is that it's all case studies. Right. And I literally built my entire uh, structure of my brand. In business school, every class, I made a recommendation that whoever worked on my team would work on my business. See, this is so interesting to me. Would you recommend for entrepreneurs business school? Because I've heard a lot of, you know, yes, no, never. Well, here's the deal. You go to law school, you end up a lawyer. You go to medical school, you end up a doctor. You go to business school, I mean, you're the same fool you were when you started. Right. And anybody who puts MBA at the end of their name is really looking yes. for some sort of recognition. Yes. Um, do I think business school is necessary? No. But that's kind of like saying is work experience necessary for starting your own brand or business. Right. And yes, people can start them in their early 20s. But I really feel that if you want to... Yes, there are a lot of standouts, the Mark Zuckerbergs and everything, of people who, you know, don't have the work experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those people were well entrenched with what they do. Yes. And they were the anomaly of being an expert and being a genius and yeah. knowing how to feel that out. Most people are not that lucky and most people are not that smart. Right. So having that work experience 
And the fact that I was fortunate enough to go to business school, which yep. I will never take for granted. It was an absolute luxury as education is by far the... But it sounds like it was so beneficial to you because you were able to use your brand as the case study. That's, That's it. literally That's the it. case because I never went through school thinking that I was going to work for anybody else. And it wasn't even an organic specificity to yep. say that that was what my goal was. Right. It just... It just was. You just knew out. at that point also, too. Yeah. Well, I had it as a side project and a side business, but right. I knew I had to. How you're using social media to build your brand. You said what I wrote down is how you said be your own best publicist and really looking at that and how you use social media to do that. Well, if we reverse engineer this, yes. um, social media is a huge inconvenience. It really is, mm-hmm. um, especially if you have so many different um, tentacles of your brand. Yes. That yes. It's very challenging. It is. It and, is. you know, just be, we always, the designers I've worked with and I have other colleagues of mine who, who've consulted and it's all about being a brand, brands with fans. Yes. And in order to be successful, and I know now buyers actually look at designers' Twitter following, they look at their Facebook fans. Yep. Um, it used to be just sales traction if you're going to Saks and so forth, who yep. wouldn't even touch you unless you had some boutique, some successful boutique business following you. You know, people want to know that you're bringing just you and your product to the table. So um, you you have to be strategic and you have to know these things. It's just a necessary evil. You you have to make sure you have a Pinterest board that's filled with relevant things and a bunch of peripheral things like cakes you would, you know, pretend that you would like to make and shoes you want to buy your niece and things like that. And, you, you know... Trying to make sure, and and I can honestly say that I, I am still a work in progress when it comes to that. I have a pretty decent Twitter following. Mm-hmm. I had a Facebook group. We have a strong following with that. I missed the window to convert it to a fan page because I thought I wanted to keep my business B2B. Yep. Now we're converting it B2C. I regret that. Now we're starting with a fan page. Okay. But in terms of the evolution, it is what it is. I'm confident that you know we're casting for a TV show. I'm working on my second book. We, we have a lot of momentum coming. I'm not worried. Um, I think if I didn't have those things going on, I would be concerned. But I, I do have dedicated people for each medium. Yeah. I Just, mean, I think it's it's key. And it's very challenging, though, also once you get on, right, as a brand and you're building your brand, you kind of can't stop, right? Because no. the second you stop, you look like stale. No. And especially if you're running your own business and happens to be around, you know, family and kids, you, you don't want to be Instagramming things, but you need to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge, you know out with my family and I'm thinking, oh, you know, here's a bunch of tulips that look that are on trend with Radiant Orchid from Pantone's Color of the Year. I have to, you know, I should do that. And Yeah. It's hard to turn it off, actually. But it's really challenging. The way I've always told my kids is I'm here and you don't have a nanny who's potentially ignoring you. I'm ignoring you and it's okay because I'm (laughs) your mom. I love it. I love it. So are you working from your house? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I've worked from home. On and off, but mostly on since I've had kids. And uh, I've, I have really, really good kids because they understand that there's no space for deviation just because this is what I do. This is how it's got to be. If you see me on the phone, walk away, come up with another project, do what you got to do. I mean, my daughter, too, started making her own sandwiches because she was hungry. Ah! So, I love uh, her. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. She'll work the awards next year. Uh, yeah, I hope she so. Will. So tell me a little bit about the awards. Tell me tell me where you are in this space. I want to hear all about it. <laughs> uh, we're in year eight. Um, I came up with the idea. Uh, I launched Handbag Designer 101, the website, mm-hmm. to go along with my book. The book had not yet come out. 
Um, the bo- Handbag Designer 101 was a B2B space. It was supposed to empower designers, create a community. I had Designer of the Day, Bag Trends, Celebrity Bag Watch. We added street style, but I didn't want it to be a blog. I didn't want it to be my voice. I wanted it to be a place, you know, in terms of where it would host a handbag media landscape. Um, and I thought, geez, I have to monetize this quick. How yes. can I do that? And knowing knowing how content sites run and how difficult that would be, I said, I better come up with a way to make money off of this or else I'm, you know, and then I'm just doing this for fun. Right. And that's not for me. So I said, what about an award show for handbag designers? Because I literally participated in every competition. I was um, I was already consulting. I was consulting for designers while I had my own line, which was really strange. Mm-hmm. But people were still calling me. And I figured, well, you know, why not? And I had taught at the Learning Annex. And then I was teaching at LIM. And then I was teaching at Parsons. And I'm going to be teaching at FIT in the fall oh, for that's great. entrepreneurship. The first female professor. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you. You, I definitely see you as you, – do you identify more as an entrepreneur than a designer, right? Because you – I've never you, felt You myself. never felt like you were a designer, No, and right? it's it's still an Achilles for me because yeah. I still to this day I can tell people what's wrong and everything and I can see the construction issues yep. but not ever having gone to design school. It's It really still makes me nervous but it's not anything that would stop me. But you're really a business person because the thing – the themes that I hear are all about how do I monetize, how do I make sure that I make enough money doing Try this, to. Or try to, right? Yeah. And really, what's the next step for you and the next big thing? And I see that as as really the key the key themes is being a, a strong publicist for yourself, um, being able to really push forward. I mean, you've got there's such good takeaways. Is, oh, well, that's good. why they well, you had, that's you had why nuggets. Here. That's it. Nuggets and takeaways. Yes, it's nuggets true. and takeaways. But uh, yeah, we're we're converting handbag designer one one to B two C, and that's all kind of come with the evolution of the awards because. We've re- literally taken so many unknown designers and catapulted them and fast forward their brand identity, who they are as a designer. And we really have called it the first round draft pick for handbags. Brilliant. Because, you know, it's not to say that any of them wouldn't necessarily get that kind of that accolades and attention, but to get an in style, to get in Bloomingdale's or Saks or. And how did you get the partners? You just went for cold it? Cold call them. You cold called them. Everybody. Everybody. So you have to really be fearless. I think I think from what my takeaway from you Another is just one. this totally being fearless. You put yourself out there every single time. If you listen to every part of your story, it's whether you're telling the guy in the office, like, hey, where, where's your doll? Or what, you're just totally fearless. Well, I, I think it's not even an element of fear. It's just complete unawareness yeah. of what would happen and you hang up the phone and you move on and that's it like okay thanks next bye Big deal. that's it it's like dating yeah you know didn't fit I, it got to the point where you date so long you'd walk in and you'd look at someone especially if it's online dating you look at someone and just say I'm saving you the headache yes. I'm just gonna go you yeah. can have that drink just, on your own it's a no walk go. away <laughs> it's walk a no away. go yeah another nugget yeah <laughs> you're I, full of them yeah I love it thank you I love it any any Advice other than all of the wonderful, brilliant things you've shared. Any any advice specifically for young women listening to the podcast who might be ready to kind of create something that they might monetize on their own or think along those lines for young women entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? Any advice that you have for them? Keep your day job. Keep your day job? Keep your day job. Yeah? That's not a question. That's a fact. Yeah. That's a fact. Keep your day job. Absolutely. And build it on the side. Yeah. Build it on the side. Absolutely. And at what point do you leave the day job? Until you think you can sustain it on its own. Excellent. I don't think anyone should have delusions of grandeur. Uh, if you don't have savings, 
if you don't have anyone to bail you out, yep. nor should you ever look at any experience to be bailed out. Yep. Look at the reality, do a SWOT analysis, do a competitive analysis, walk the market, walk shows, uh, see where products are placed, look at the competition, do, do a reverse engineering, see where products are manufactured, understand the elements of economies of scale, which is so important. And that's the demise of so many small brands yes, that yes. the more you produce, the lower your costs are. And that's why so many small businesses' costs are so high. Uh, yeah, they're inflated because they're trying to make money and- you know, you're not a brand until someone wants to buy you. And the funny thing is, I, I remember my father always saying, um, just because you have a sale doesn't mean you have a business. And it's so true because you will always, 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 always find someone to buy your product. It doesn't mean that you are profitable in any right. capacity. Right. You know, and run focus groups of people who you're, you're not related to. Ask them their opinions and really take the time because homework is free. It's all free. If right. you want research, call up a research company and ask them and ask, see if you could find out why. People will always want to give things out for free and no one even knows. It's just there for the taking. I'm working with NPD now, which oh, is I out of Port, NPD, Port which, Washington. Right, right. And now I'm working with them and they're hungry to get people to use their information yes. to get the word out. Yes. I'll promote you. I'll talk about you. I'll yes. say, you know, I'll quote you. It's there for the taking. Absolutely. I love it. It's there for the taking. Go for it. My other two favorites, you're not a brand until somebody buys you and you're nobody until you're somebody. That's pretty awesome feedback, I think. And I think it's something that it's really our listeners will take away and be able to channel. So I'm I hope so, so. so excited to have you here today, Thank Emily. You. This was Not only are you a bundle of energy, but you're just fabulous. Thank you. So awesome. Thank you. It's, it takes one to know one. Yes, clearly. <laughs> I feel I feel the connection. I feel the love. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com.